When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one had heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that each of us hears them in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they ask one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, They've had too much wine. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I have to say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the Israelites And this will happen all before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross, But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. Peter continued, David said about him, I saw the Lord always before me, because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices, my body will also rest in hope because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead. You will not let your prophet die. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence. Uh, Fellow Israelites, I can confidently tell you that the patriarch David died and was buried, and his tomb is here to this day, but he was uh, speaking of the resurrection of the Messiah that he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead, nor did his body see decay. God had raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of it. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has been received from the Father and has given the promised Holy Spirit and poured him out 
And that is what you now see and hear. For David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. The people heard this. They were cut to the heart and said to Peter and to the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you too will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off. For all whom the Lord will, God calls, he will receive. With many other words, he warned them and pleaded with them, Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Oh God, as we uh, consider this uh, story and, when, and this uh, sermon of Peter, we pray for a better understanding of who you are and what kind of relationship you're calling us into, we pray. Amen. Uh, so the narrative today, this uh, story is uh, following just uh, about 10 days after the ascension in which uh, Nick talked about last week. And we find that the believers, of a very small group at this time, they're all uh, gathered together to celebrate the, uh, the day of Pentecost, which is uh, a festival. It's one of the three festivals in which Jews from all over the world would come to Jerusalem to uh, celebrate. In fact, this is, again, the second of, of those three uh, celebrations. And so we find that there are Jews from all over the known world to, together, and the disciples, the followers of Jesus, are gathered together in a room for, again, this celebration. And by the way, this Pentecost comes 50 days after the second day of Passover, the day on which Jesus uh, died. We know that the first day Passover, Jesus, the first evening, Jesus gathered for the Last Supper with his disciples, and the second day he was crucified. And so now, 50 days later, here are this small group, this small band of believers, and they are together for uh, Pentecost. And just like in uh, previous cases of them gathered together, God comes almost mysteriously among them. And we remember that Jesus came several times after his resurrection and just showed up in the room. And so, in like manner, we now have the Spirit. As they're gathered together, uh, we can imagine doors shut, windows shut. The Spirit comes like a violent wind, we're told, and then uh, divides and separates over each of them as, as little tongues of fire, and they are then given the ability to do something in which uh, they couldn't do on their own. They have the ability to be heard in languages that they were not capable of speaking uh, beforehand. And so uh, somehow it's such a ruckus that uh, other people who are there in the city start to overhear them and wonder what's going on. And so they gather around as this group is talking about uh, the work God has done through Jesus. And uh, there are two uh, primary questions uh, that come to this group of believers from the Jews who have gathered there together. And it's on these two questions we want to start with. Uh, today. And the first question is a very good question, and that is, what does this mean? So as these uh, travelers to Jerusalem, these, the, these guests to Jerusalem are he hearing these people from Galilee 
who were not known for their ability to speak many languages. As they come together and they hear them, they want to know, what does this mean? What does this mean that they can speak, that they're talking in their language, but we can understand them in our language? And so it's at this opportunity, at this time, where the kind of de facto leader of the church, Peter, stands up and starts his sermon. And his sermon, in short, goes something like this. Hey, the promise has been fulfilled. That thing that you have been waiting for, that all of the prophets have been talking about for centuries, it's now been fulfilled in Jesus. You remember the prophet Joel? The prophet Joel talked about a time when men and women would prophesy and that the Messiah would come. Well, that, that has happened now. And, and then Peter is very clear. He said, hey, uh, this man, Jesus, he was handed over to, to you, to you, the people. And uh, evil men inspired you to put him to death, to crucify him. But God has brought him back to life. It's a very simple message. It's an essential message that God has done in Jesus uh, something we couldn't do for ourselves, that God has uh, brought someone back to life, has brought Jesus back to life. And that because Jesus is brought to life, that brings hope for this broken world. And so his, the first message is, uh, Jesus is back. God has brought me, Jesus back to life. And God's spirit is now is illuminating the world. And so what you're hearing here, this, this miraculous ability to speak in other languages, that didn't happen just because we you know, went online and, 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 and got software and learned how to, to, to speak in other languages. No, this is God's work in us. So the next question is another great question. Once they hear this, once the crowd is, is uh, convicted that something incredible has happened and that what does this mean question has been answered, uh, they have another profound question, what shall we do? And in many respects, these two questions are questions that any person who is experiencing faith for the first time will ask. What does this mean? And now what shall we do? And so again, Peter is very, uh, very clear. In fact, we uh, read that he said, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you too will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, uh, Peter is actually following in a, a long tradition here with uh, this idea of repentance being the, the primary message that he is trying to communicate uh, John the Baptist, Jesus' uh, cousin, his message to the people was repent. Jesus, the first words out of his mouth as he started to preach were, was repent. And now we have uh, Peter back with this very familiar message, repent and be baptized every one of you. And so it's a, a great tradition that Peter is following here with his uh, sermon. And so what does this mean? What shall we do? Repent and be baptized is the response. But as we think about uh, this experience, this faith journey as a community here and as individuals uh, here, uh, many of us here have been uh, baptized, and many of us have uh, repented at one time or the other. And yet many of us also feel like we are missing out when it comes to the element of the Holy Spirit. And I know this because I've talked to uh, people of faith, I've talked to church people, I've talked to many of you for years and years and years, 
And um, there seems to be a general dissatisfaction in the life of, of even followers of Jesus when it comes to this idea that the Holy Spirit is working uh, in us. Been baptized, um, repented of, of, of sins of the past, but it, when, when it comes to really receiving the Holy Spirit or being full of the Holy Spirit, it just doesn't feel like it, we're, we're, we're full. We're full of the Spirit. I hear this time and time and time again, and there's some of this that I experience in my own experience. And so we have to ask ourselves, what is happening here? This profound sermon of Peter where he explains what Jesus has done for us and he explains how we can grasp a hold of this to repent and be baptized. The reality is though, that many of us here have heard the narrative of Jesus time and time and time again that he died and rose again. We have repented. Many of us even have been baptized. In fact, we've had uh, five people baptized here in the last couple of months at Church of the Advent Hope, which we're really excited about. Uh, but yet many of us are also dissatisfied with our relationship with the Holy Spirit. And so it's this issue that we need to talk about today. What is happening? Why is it that we don't feel more full of this Holy Spirit? And so I, there are a, a couple responses to this uh, that I'd like to wrestle with today. First of all, uh, one reason that we feel uh, maybe disconnected from the Holy Spirit is that we just haven't noticed uh, how the Spirit works in us, um, in particular in low-key ways. You know, this is such a dramatic example here of the, the Spirit coming. These, these people are sitting around, and there's this violent wind, and there are tongues of fire, and the tongues of fire uh, enter them somehow, and they're suddenly able to do this miraculous thing, and it's just incredible, and it's so obvious that the Spirit has been at work uh, in them. And yet, oftentimes, the Spirit's work in our hearts and our experience is much more a low key, and if we're not in tune, we, or, or we're expecting something much more dramatic, it can be a little bit discouraging. And again, I know some of you here today who the Spirit has been at work in, but you know, you're anticipating and wanting giant things to happen. And, uh, and because the time frame hasn't been as dramatic as you, you wanted, it, there weren't instantaneous change, or the changes seem so imperceptible, it can just be a little bit uh, depressing. And so, uh, one of the reasons that we are dissatisfied with our, the Holy Spirit action in our lives as people who, to, who express faith is that we just don't notice, we're not aware of what, God, of what God has been doing in our experience. He's at work, but it may be in, in small and somewhat imperceptible ways. Uh, secondly, we haven't fully understood the implications of this command to uh, repent and be baptized. What is it that, that, that makes us feel like we're missing out something? Well, maybe, maybe we need to understand better the idea of repentance and uh, baptism. Uh, you know, repentance, it's, it's said, is an internal change of the mind and heart rather than just a, a mere sorrow for sin or a mild improvement of behavior. That repentance really starts much more on the internal level, recognizing the area in your life in which you are headed in the wrong direction. And my favorite uh, illustration of repentance, and you may have heard this before, so bear with me, um, but it's very New York-centric too, and that is, if you've ever gone down into the, the subway, did any of you ride the subway today? 
How many rode the subway today? All right, so you rode the subway. Now, this probably didn't happen today because, you know, maybe, first of all, the subway is not too far away from Advent Hope or you've been here before, so this, that. But have you ever been in the subway where you're going to somewhere where you haven't been maybe recently or ever before and you, you enter out from the, the tomb of the subway, if you will, you enter out from the ground and you're in the heart of some borough that you've never been before and you just start walking because you're a New Yorker and you want to look like you know where you're going. You know what I'm talking about? You're going to be confident. You're not going to look at your cell phone. Tourists look at their cell phones. You know where you're going. But the problem is you don't know where you're going. Have you done this before? Confidently walk in a direction. Uh, but at some point, there's an internal voice in your head that says, you're going the wrong way. And you try to be cool, because you don't want to look like a tourist, and you want to look like you've been there, so you act like you're getting a text message from someone. And you pull out that phone, and you secretly go to Google. And then you realize, and you try to hit that button that tells you what direction you're going, and it's never right. Does, yours, does that happen to you? Even that button is wrong. Um, but you know that you're not headed in the right direction. Um, but at some point, you recognize, I need to uh, turn around. I did not intend to be at the East River. I want to be at Fifth Avenue. What am I doing at the East River? This is very much like the idea of repentance. Repentance is this internal uh, uh, idea that you are headed in the wrong direction. It's a change of mind. I'm not going the right way. And then there's the impression that you need to uh, turn around. I have in my pastoral contract that every two months I have to use a Greek word just to, you know, just to uh, show you that I can. You guys with me? This is that time. So just mark this down. Greek word coming. You excited about this? By the way, I don't have a pastoral contract. It's all a joke. You guys with me today? We okay? Okay. Here's your Greek word for the next two months. Metanoia. It's the Greek word that is translated as repent in the English. And it, it, it's, it's two words put together. Meta which implies a movement, and noia, which is the mind. So this, this idea of repentance is the mind and movement uh, together. So there's the internal uh, uh, recognition that you're headed in the wrong uh, direction, and then the movement to head in the right direction. So this is, this is what uh, repentance is about, this internal thing that tells you you're headed in the wrong direction, and then this movement toward the right uh, direction. Um, beyond that, though, there is also the element of, of new behavior happening. Once you head in the right direction, new things are going to happen. We read in Luke chapter 3 and verse 8, and this is actually from uh, John. Excuse me just a moment here. I'm going to turn off my... <laughs> Who is? Someone is texting me a thousand times. It, I'm going to turn this off. Is that you, Kyle? It's what? Our head elder. He's not here today. He's missing Avon Hope, and he's texting a million times. I'm going to turn that off. So if you're texting me right now, I'm, I'm not seeing it. Thank you for being interested in texting me. That's, I love that. 
Um, I love to hear from your texts all the time, just not right now. So I'm turning Derek off. Um, all right, Luke, this is Luke chapter 3. Are, are, we, are we okay today? Okay. Luke chapter 3 and verse 8. This is John. This is the forerunner of Jesus. John, this is Jesus' cousin, right? And he says this. Uh, Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. So the implications here, we're thinking about repentance. The implication here is that repentance has fruit that goes along with it. Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. Uh, and don't begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as a father. He's talking to those who, who are, were, were Israelites in the first century and who really were thankful for the fact that they are, how is it still texting? <laughs> I can't turn it off. Okay, give me a second. This is, see, people with, past, good pastors with paper do not have this problem. I'm turning it off completely. The whole sermon is going to disappear at any moment. And then I'm just going to start reading to you text messages. It'll be fun, I promise. Um, okay. <laughs> Luke chapter 3, where were we? John, right? John, okay. <clears throat> so John is talking, he says, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. Don't begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father, for I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the tree. Every tree that does not pr produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. What should we do then? He's asking that question again, and the crowd asked. And John answered, anyone who has two shirts should share with the one who has none, and anyone who has uh, food should do the same. Even tax collectors came to be baptized. Teacher, they asked, what should we do? Don't collect any more than you are required to, he told them. Then some soldiers asked him, and what should we do? And he replied, don't extort money and don't accuse people falsely. Be content with, with your pay. And so John is saying is, hey, this idea of repentance, this idea of this internal change in your mind that you recognize that you're headed in the wrong direction, that repentance has fruit that goes along with it. It has actions that go along with it. And those actions are to act ethically and morally. But this happens in the process of repentance. Once you become aware that you're headed in the wrong direction, that you're going to the East River when you should be going to Fifth Avenue, once you have that recognition, God enables you to turn into the, the opposite direction, and that turning will result in fruit, that you will have love for your neighbor. And so this idea of repentance is really essential to the idea of what it means to be a follower of Jesus, but also the element of, of uh, baptism. And we have been thinking about baptism again as we've had a number of baptisms here at Advent Hope over the last few months. You know, baptism is uh, the acknowledgement through this really ancient uh, rite uh, of being submersed under the water. Uh, baptism is the acknowledgement that you are dead to the old way of things. Not, not dead to the old practices per se, that's an element of it, but dead to the old way of things, and the old way of things is thinking that you can get your act together on your own. See, baptism is you're going under the water, you're helpless, you're not, you're not capable of getting it together on your own. In fact, you're dead. And you come out of the, the water baptized and you're in new life, and this new life is the recognition and realization that you are not going to get it together on your own, but God has gotten it together for you. And as the Spirit works in you, you have new life. This is the beauty of baptism, that you recognize that God has your uh, future in his hands. And God has done for you what you can't do for yourselves. That you submit, you're under the water, you're dead, you come out to new life, new life 
in that Jesus has done for you what you cannot do for yourselves, and you're going to rely on that instead of your ability to get it together. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old is gone, the new is here, all this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ Jesus. Baptism is not magic. That is really important to note because you know, there is this element, I think, that, that, that we kind of feel like there's some kind of magic thing that happens when, uh, when you're baptized. We have a baptismal right back here, and we fill it up with water. And do you know where that water comes from? Probably the East River, to be honest with you. I know, I hope it's not the East River. At least it should be the Hudson, and if not the Hudson, hopefully from somewhere upstate, one of those pristine... A reservoirs, but it's just normal. It's just normal water. There's nothing magic about the water. You guys with me here? There's nothing magic about the water. Baptism is just this 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 uh, affirmation that you believe that God has done for you what you cannot do for yourself. You're not going to get it together, and so you believe that in Jesus we have hope for a future. And so, again, Peter now is preaching. Look, baptism in repentance. This is how how the Holy Spirit is enabled to work within us. Um, in essence, baptism and repentance give God permission to do his transformative work within you. You know, God in his sovereignty has enabled each of us with uh, free will. It's one of the great principles of the God of the universe that he wants uh, creatures who will love him and be in relationship with him, not because they have to, not because they're compelled uh, to ultimately, but because they choose to, because they des- decide to. And baptism and repentance is uh, giving God permission to do his transformative work in us, to, that we can have the Spirit. He's not just going to pour out the Spirit on us if we don't want that. Baptism and repentance give him permission to do this. It's like elective surgery. You get to choose. We're not going to force the surgery on, uh, on you. God is going to do elective surgery. If you, if you want to be a part of this work. If you want God to do his work in you, baptism and repentance enable him to do it. To communicate to God, communicate to the community of faith that you want God to do his transformative work in you. So baptism and repentance are incredibly important when it comes in this journey of being filled with the Holy Spirit. And this leads to the last, this last point when it comes to, you know, what's happening? Why don't we always feel like we're really engaged with the Holy Spirit? And that is that we treat repentance in particular as a one-time event and not a regular and daily uh, submission. Uh, you know, baptism is, is a one-time uh, event, it's, or one-time, uh, you come, you affirm that uh, you believe in God's way of doing things, not your own way of doing things, and uh, that God's work is, is, is on your behalf. You affirm that in baptism, that only needs to happen once. But repentance, the recognition that you're headed in the wrong direction, needs to happen all the time. Because you're, in the, you know, you're using the subway of life all the time, and you're coming out of that subway, and oftentimes you are headed in the wrong direction. And if you're just like, I, I'm only, you know, I, well, I looked at the map once, um, and I know I'm headed in the right direction now, but you're in a different part of the city, it doesn't work that way. And so you've got to always be checking uh, where you are. And you've always got to be open to the recognition that you might be headed in the wrong uh, direction. And so there's this, this, this check-in that's involved with repentance. And so uh, repentance is something really that happens, is, is designed to happen all the time 
to, 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 to see where you are, to acknowledge where you are, to acknowledge where in your life you might be headed in the wrong direction, and then allow God to do the transformative work of turning you and giving you fruits of repentance. And so if we treat repentance as a one-time thing, well, like, I repented, then uh, it's, 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 it's not going to work. Always got to be a checking in. Always got to be giving God permission to do his surgery, his transformative work in you. I mean, if you need that work done in you all the time, then you've got to be giving him permission all the time because he is not into forcing himself on us, thank God. One of the great principles of the Bible. So, we feel disconnected with the Holy Spirit sometimes because we don't fully recognize the, the ways in which he is indeed working. Uh, we haven't always fully grasped what repentance and, and baptism means, and, and too often we feel like we, we've repented and we don't take advantage of the opportunity to repent at every opportunity that we have. It's helpful to note uh, here that, uh, that Jesus himself was both baptized and full of the Holy Spirit. In Luke chapter 3 and verse 21 uh, we, we read that when all the people were being baptized, Jesus himself was baptized. And he came up out of the water and he received the Holy Spirit. And then in Luke chapter 4 and verse 1, uh, we read that Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan, this is right after his baptism, left the Jordan and was led by that Spirit into the wilderness where he was tempted for 40 days by the devil. Jesus himself was baptized and Jesus himself was full of the Holy Spirit. And it's through Jesus' work that we have access to the Holy Spirit. Remember in verse 32 of Acts 2 we read that God, that this is Peter again preaching to the people in response to the question, what, what has happened here? God has raised this Jesus to life and we are all witnesses of this. He's talking about the disciples because they actually literally were witnesses of Jesus being, being back from the dead. And he was exalted to the right hand of God and he was received from the Father uh, and he has, has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. And so what Peter is saying in Acts chapter 2 is that, hey, Jesus is actually responsible for the ability for the Spirit to be poured out. And so if you're, if you're wondering, man, why isn't my life more full of the Holy Spirit, the first thing to note is, hey, Jesus is actually responsible for the pouring out of, of the Spirit. And God has promised to give you this Spirit as well as you repent. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my Spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my Spirit in those days, and they will prophesy, and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. I mean, there's not really a whole lot of better words in the whole Bible than that. The idea that everyone has access to this saving power that comes from God. doesn't matter who you are. doesn't matter where you come from. God is willing and open to give everyone uh, his saving power, to give everyone the Holy Spirit. And as we continually repent, and as we give our lives over in baptism and recognize it's not our work, our work but his work that we have hope in, God is able to do in us his transformative surgery to make us new and whole. 
So that leaves us with one last question. What does this spirit-led life uh, look like? This life that is so essential to the person of faith. I mean, the spirit-led life is at the heart of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. That you, if you, you embrace Jesus' work, God is able to work in you and do in you and to start making the changes. Well, what does that life look like? Well, there's no better place than Galatians chapter 5 to get this understanding. You, my brothers and sisters, this is the Apostle Paul now writing, writing about the implications of the spirit-loved life. You, my brothers and sisters, are called to be free, but don't use your freedom to indulge your flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. Sounds just like uh, John's message, John the Baptist's message, when he said, hey, if you see someone who has a coat, no coat, and you have two, give to that brother. Serve each other in love, Paul says. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before that, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. By the way, there's, that list is so comprehensive and includes... <laughs> So many things, things that we all can relate to and certainly have participated in. But he goes on and says, the fruit of the, the Spirit, the outcome of a Spirit life, the outcome of what happens when you repent, recognize your head in the wrong direction, allow God to do His transformative change work in you is this. The fruit of the Spirit is love and joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And since we live by this Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. I love this list because it really, if you think about it, it includes all of those things that our hearts are really longing for. A love, a joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. In fact, many of the other things that were mentioned in the previous list, the things of the flesh, uh, are, are related to these. There are ways in which we try to get love and to get joy and to get peace and get patience. But, but Paul is saying, as you embrace the Spirit, as you repent, as you're baptized, God is able, in His way, to give you the things that your heart really desires, the love, the joy, the peace, the patience, the kindness, the goodness, the faithfulness, the gentleness, and self-control. And so, as we, this week and next, come to the conclusion of this time of year as we're thoughtful about the life and death and resurrection, of course, we're thoughtful about that all year, but in this uh, season of Easter, in the season of the, re the, the resurrection, as we uh, contemplate God's work on our behalf, uh, may we be people who become alive by God's Spirit, May we no longer wonder why God is not at work in us. May we become people who are proficient at repenting. People who are proficient at recognizing the times and the areas in which we are headed in the wrong direction. And may we be open to allowing God to change our direction. Turning us around, heading us in the right way. May He give us his spirit that works transformatively in us. In him we pray. Amen.